Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. Open your Bibles up to Second uh, Samuel chapter twelve. Second Samuel chapter twelve is where we're going to be at today uh, in the Scriptures. I'm going to begin reading in verse one. We're going to read twenty uh, twenty three verses, so quite a few. Uh, let's begin. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, "There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor." The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and he grew it up with him and, and with his children. He used to eat of his, of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who's done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you as king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun, for you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. And Nathan went to his house. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted and went and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor would he eat any food with them. On the seventh day the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him that your child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together. David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went to his own house, and when asked, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servants said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept. For the child, while he was yet alive, but when the child died, you rose and ate food. And he said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. 
but he will not return to me. Father, we pray that you would instruct us, God. Uh, Lord, this passage is is a stinging passage. Uh, Father, as we think about our own sin, Father, Father, it's an unpleasant word. Father, we rejoice today at your forgiveness, at your mercy and your grace. Father, we, uh, we stand in awe of how good you've been to us. But Father, we also uh, realize that we reap what we sow. And Father, I pray that today might be a day in which you work in us a, a great fear of you, a great uh, despising of sin. Father, help us to hold tightly to your word today. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, last week, if you were here with us at our all-church service, we looked at chapter 11, and uh, we, we kind of just walked through David's temptation. Uh, he doesn't go, he's not on mission, he's not where he's supposed to be in, in his own calling. Uh, because of that, he's, he's on the roof, he sees Bathsheba bathing, uh, he, he looks, he inquires, he doesn't stop it quickly, he doesn't immediately fight temptation, he lets the engine run, and uh, he, he can't stop it, uh, he, he sins with Bathsheba, uh, making matters worse, again, he does not deal with it immediately, as he should have, um, but he, again, he lets that run, uh, it gets worse and worse, he ends up killing, indirectly, uh, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, uh, he, he after Bathsheba's time of mourning, he takes your, uh, Bathsheba as his own wife and uh, brings her into his house. And, and you kind of end chapter eleven thinking, man, he kind of got away with that, you know? Uh, it was wrong. We we were shocked. I mean, man, you know, we 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 looked yet last week. We're all capable of terrible things in our flesh, and David was certainly capable of terrible things, and and he does this thing. And, and it almost looks like he covers his tracks, and, and now he's got her in his house, and it looks like he's got away with this. But then you have that, that haunting verse that ends chapter 11, the very end of it. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. You see, first of all, here's where I want to start. A lot of times, what's going on outside of a person is not the whole picture, okay? A lot of times, what's going on inside of a person is very different than what you might see on the outside, okay? So on the outside, man, David's king. He's king. He subdued all of his enemies. He's reigning. No more being chased by Saul. Life is good. He's rich. He's got any desire. He's got a harem of women. Now he's got a new wife, a new wife in his collection. Instead of sneaking around with Bathsheba, no, now he can go take long walks with her down the promenade or in the garden. I mean, on the outside, he looks prosperous. He's conquered. He's a monarch. But on the inside, something very different is going on. Now, the beauty of the scriptures is, you know, we can't see that so much with one another, but we can see it in the scriptures because we've got great psalms like Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, okay? So Psalm 51 and 32, you kind of put with this, this story of chapter 11 and 12 in 2 Samuel. Uh, Psalm 51 actually tells us in the scriptures this was written, you know, after Nathan the prophet came to David and kind of after chapter 12 is when that psalm was written. Psalm 32 does not give us that. It does tell us it is of David, but, but most all scholars imply that this was written about that time in his life. And, and so listen, listen to Psalm 32. So it says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Okay, so David starts out saying, man, the blessed guy is the guy who's forgiven, who, who, whose sin is covered up. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord 
counts no iniquity and in, in his spirit there's no deceit. And then he reflects back to a time in his life. We believe it is this time. In verse 3, he says, for when I kept silent, okay, silent about what? Silent about, look at the context, about his own sin. Okay? So in other words, when, when, the, when there's a time in his life, we believe it's this time, when, when, he, when he did not confess his sin, he didn't own up to his sin, he justified his sin, he just kept going in his sin, he just kind of put the blinders on, I know I've sinned, I know I did wrong, but I'm just going to keep going, I'm not going to face it, I'm not going to deal with it, I'm not going to accept the judgment of God, I'm going to justify it. And David describes that particular time, you may not have been able to see it from the outside, but definitely here's how he describes it from the inside, as a time of great misery. Okay, look at verse three. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Why does he say his bones? You know why? I, here's why I think your bones are what's deep inside of you. Okay, he's, he's not describing a flesh wound. He's describing something deep inside of me. He's saying deep inside of me, I'm rotting away. Deep inside of me, I'm, I'm falling apart on the outside. I'm king. I'm got on the throne. I got Bathsheba beside me. You know, everything looks good, but inside... Man, inside, I'm rotting away. He says, through my groaning all day long. David's joy is gone. David's joy is gone. You see, David, David bought in for a moment, and this cost him. He bought into this lie that our joy is tied to our fleshly desires. Okay, For a moment, with Bathsheba, David ties into this, this thinking that you know to have a certain woman, or to have certain things, or to have riches, or to have a certain reputation, that that's where our joy comes from. And David quickly found out as a believer that no, his joy is tied to his relationship with God. And that's why in Psalm 51, as he finally comes to repentance over this whole episode in his life, in verse 12, he says, restore to me the joy joy of your salvation. Restore. Bring it back. That's what he's saying. Bring bring back to me the joy of my salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Okay? The joy has been sucked out of his life. And and why has it been sucked out of his life? Because of his his sin. And look at verse 4. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Man, I got to believe, if you're a believer here today, I, I don't need to explain this to you. I, I, I don't think I do. If you are a born-again believer, if, if there's been a time in your life you've turned away from your sins, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, in, in the cross, in the, in the resurrection, in Christ's righteous life, in the sacrificial death on your behalf, if you are a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, I don't need to explain that to you because you experience that when you sin, right? If you don't, then we've got, you've got a problem. There's something wrong. You're not a believer because the Bible tells us very clearly, Hebrews chapter 12, that if you're a believer, you can't continue in sin without God's discipline upon your life. Uh, Hebrews 12, 7 says it's for discipline that you have to endure. God's treating you as sons. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all, all believers have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If, if, if you don't have this in your life, then, then you're not a believer. This, this is part of being a son is that when you sin, God's not going to leave you in that. God's not content for you to continue in habitual sin, but his heavy hand. Right? You know what that feels like, don't you, believers? His heavy hand crushing, draining the joy out of your life. It's not there. No matter what's going on on the outside, inside there's this hollowness, there's this rottenness, there's this joylessness. I love uh, Proverbs 20, 17. I, I think this is a great verse. 
It says, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. You know, it, it's this great picture of a guy, you know, grabbing onto this sinful, fleshly, tasty morsel, and always oh, the first couple bites are wow, you know, crispy cream action here, okay? But the more he chews it, the more it turns to gravel in his mouth. That's the picture of sin. Folks, as believers, we can't be happy in sin, man. When, when are we going to get that? Uh, we, 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 we need to get that. We can't love Jesus and be joined to him and live in unrepentant sin. God's heavy hand will be upon us. It's not worth it, believer. It dries up our strength. We, we cannot be happy in sin, okay? You can't, you can't be happy in Jesus and happy in sin at the same time, okay? So David's got no strength, no strength for worship, for ministry, for prayer, for his family, no joy. All this internal stuff is inside of David, okay? That's what's happening in chapter, after chapter 11, all right? So looks like, man, he just got, gets away with this, you know, gets Uriah taken care of, gets Bathsheba, has a quick wedding, now he's got his wife. Looks like all is fine, all is not fine. And it begins in David's soul. It's not fine in his soul. So what does God do? Well, God does, God does the right thing every time, doesn't he? God, God confronts David with his sin uh, through the prophet Nathan. Now, let, let's talk about that for just a second. We're not going to spend a bunch of time here. Um, I had to make a decision about which direction to go, whether to go on, on confronting uh, sin or to go really more on kind of the consequences of sin. I decided to spend most of our time on consequences. But I want to say a few things about just this confrontation because I, I think it's, it's a textbook, okay? It's, it's, a great, um, it's a great instruction manual for how to handle this. Um, first of all, uh, a couple things about it. Number one, uh, confronting sin is delicate business. It's eye surgery. Okay, you've heard me say that before. That's that's the picture that we're given in, in Matthew chapter seven when Jesus talks about trying to get a, a, a log or a splinter out of somebody's eye when you got a log in your own, and he says, "Man, make sure you get the log out of your own before you go after you know." And, and the the picture there is of something very delicate. Okay, uh, a very delicate procedure. All right, and so confronting somebody with sin. It is very delicate. It takes great skill and preparation. In other words, don't handle, don't, don't handle this thing lightly, okay? Here, here's a basic rule of thumb. There's times where, like, you see sin in somebody's, somebody's life and it kind of bothers you, you know? You get, you get upset about it. You're like, man, what in the world, you know? Okay, let me, let me just say this, okay? Don't do anything right away, all right? Uh, don't, don't be impulsive. At least step back and for a minute or two, pray through that deal, all right? Because this is delicate business. And you notice the skill that Nathan takes in confronting David, all right? He tells him this story. And what a great story, right? I mean, it's about a really rich guy. He's got all these flocks and herds and sheep as far as the eye can see. And then there's this poor guy. And, and, and he has this one lamb. I, I, I love this. I love this. Okay, let, let me read uh, part of it here. Um, he, okay, he's got this one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of a morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter. He's got a lap lamb, okay? 
Some of you got those little dogs that sit on your lap, you know, and, and you're, you're watching your game, one Dorito for you, you know, one Dorito for Fido, you know, you know, sip of the doctor, but you want some too, you know. You got, you got, he's got a blank, he's got his own sweater, you know. I mean, you, you love him more than your kids, okay. All right, that's the, I mean, he paints this picture, you know. This guy's got this lap lamb. I mean, he loves this lamb. It grows up like one of his kids, you know. And then this rich tyrant with lambs as far as he can see, you know, comes and snatches it, tears it from his arms, and the kids are bawling and tells, screams at him to shut up and goes out the door and slaughters this thing on their front porch to give it to the traveler. Man, doesn't it make you mad? Get everybody riled up? He's letting David condemn himself. <laughs> what skill, huh? I mean, he's, he's just he's setting it all up. So David, who's the judge, he's the king, goes ahead and pronounces judgment upon himself. And then all Nathan's got to do is say, Man, you're, you're, that's you. The guy deserves to die. He should repay four times. Yeah, David, that's you. Number two, it's our human nature to condemn sin and others that we ourselves are guilty of. Man, is it not just uh, almost humorous how David doesn't see that he's the guy? You know, I mean, it's like, how does he not miss that, you know? But, but here's the reality. We, we're like that, aren't we? we? We tend to magnify the sin of other people and minimize our own. You know why, why do we, I don't know why we do that. I mean, I guess I'm not a psychologist. Maybe, maybe there's this, maybe we all know we're guilty on the inside, right? And so, so whenever we see injustice, you know, we're kind of pulling out our righteousness and we're going to really be hammering down on it, right? Or, or I don't know, but, but it's true. We, we tend to magnify the sin of others and minimize our own sin. Uh, third just point about this confrontation, uh, man, you need to already have a relationship. David and Nathan already know each other. Not only that they know each other, but Nathan is David's prophet, okay? Uh, Nathan has already come in on numerous occasions. Uh, they have a ministry together. Nathan's the one that tells him about, you're not going to build the house. God's going to build you a house, an everlasting dynasty. You're going you're gonna, to, you, you, in the line of your family, he's going to be the Messiah, the King of Kings. All that happened through Nathan, okay? So the, he's got to already have a relationship. There's already, there's already a friendship here that he's the right guy to do this, okay? That's all I want to say about the confrontation. Let, let's keep going in, in the other direction. So, so what does God have to say? So God's speaking through the, Nathan, through the prophet Nathan. So what does God have to say about David's sin? Now, notice, notice a couple things here. First of all, verse 7 and 8. Nathan said to David, okay, you are the man, thus says the Lord. Okay, here's what God says right away. He says, I anointed you king. I've got, I've got I underlined in my Bible, all these eyes. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that were too little, I would add to you as much more. What, what is God, first of all, telling David? He's telling David, I gave you everything you needed. You didn't lack anything. Man, and if you had lacked anything, if there was a need, if, there, if you were deficient in some way, David, I'd have met it. You know, now, why, why does he tell David that? And here, here's, here's the reason. It's a big one, okay? Sin tempts us by trying to convince us that there's something outside, outside of God's plan, outside of God's law, outside of God's word, that's good for us. 
that we need. I mean, that's the big lie of sin. The big lie of sin is, is you know, as we're trying to walk as God would have us walk, we're trying to, to live as God would have us live, we're trying to speak as God would have us speak, we're trying to think as God would have us think. And sin is always tempting us to know there's something outside here that, that's good for you, something outside here that's, that's best for you. I mean, it, it's, it's, it, it's always been that way. Adam and Eve in the garden, what do they got? They've got every tree, don't they? Remember that? They've got every tree in the whole garden that they can eat of except one. And how does Satan tempt them? He comes and says, I can't believe you can't eat of that one tree. Man, that's the best one. Man, you'll be like God. Man, it, yeah, that, that, that's satisfying. Man, it's good. That's the tree. I mean, what, he goes at it by trying to convince them that there's something outside of God's plan that is good for you that you deserve. Temptation will always tell you Jesus is not enough. He needs more. And every time we sin, essentially we're saying, God, you're not enough. I don't trust you to handle this. I don't trust you to take care of this. I don't trust you to take care of me. I don't trust you to meet my needs. I need, I need something else. I need something. All lies. All lies. Number two, what, is, what does God say to David? Look at verse 9. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? I mean, no, notice the, the language here. He says that twice. He says, he says, first of all, why have you despised the word of the Lord? And then later down, he says, why have you despised me? Okay, you've despised me. And then in verse 14, he says, um, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. You know, you know what grabs me right away with that? Sin is a personal attack on God. Okay? We don't, we don't want to think of it that way, right? We want to think, this whole deal is between David and Bathsheba and Uriah. Okay, but even David comes to see that that is absolutely not true. Do you, do you remember what he says in Psalm 51? Remember that? That's kind of a puzzling verse to a lot of people. Uh, Psalm 51, 4 says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Yeah, you know, we read that verse and we're like, whoa, what about Uriah? What about Uriah's parents? What about, what about Bathsheba? You know what? What about that whole deal? What, what about them? You know, but David says against you and you only have I sinned. Okay, when God confronts David, he wants him to see right away, you've despised me. Okay, sin is an attack on me. Sin is an offense toward me. That word despise is an interesting word. It means to think lightly of. To, actually, there, one of the definitions of my, one of my Hebrew uh, dictionaries said the root of it is to trample underfoot. Okay, it's something that you... It's junk to you. It's junk to you. You walk on it. It's gravel. It's dirt. You, 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 don't, you don't even stoop down to pick it up. You just walk over it. Okay, and, and what he's saying here to David is, you have, you've treated my word like junk. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. What's David done with that? He's just trounced over it. When... Whenever we sin, it's not just David, it's us. Whenever we sin, whenever we, we God says, speak this way to your spouse, and, and, and we don't. Whenever God says, forgive, and we don't. Whenever, whenever God says, be pure, and we don't. Whenever God says, be kind, and we don't. What, what are we doing? We're saying, God, your word's small potatoes, man. That's not the big thing. What I want is the big thing. I'm, I'm just going to walk right over your word. You've despised me. Then God begins to give the consequences. Okay? 
So we've already talked about the one in Psalm 32, Psalm 51. What's going on inside of David? Loss of joy, God's heavy hand of conviction, loss of strength, loss of zeal, uh, loss of, uh, of, of zeal, guilt, shame, all those things, okay? But, but now God begins to give the outward, tangible consequences of David's sin. Now, I want us to stop right here and, and just remember a scriptural principle, okay? Um, I'm going to use Galatians 6, 7, and 8. I think that's the natural one to use. Uh, there's lots of others, but this, is, this one's real clear, okay? So Galatians 6, 7, and 8 gives us this, this, this spiritual law, okay? It's like gravity, right? There's, there's certain laws that just apply that you can't get away from them, Right? When, when, whenever you jump, you never, you, you never go down, you go up, right? You, you step off of a tall building, you know, there's not like an 80% chance you might float, you know. No, you're going, you're going to go down, right? You're going to hit hard. Gravity, it's just, it's just a law that we've all accepted, right? Uh, in the same way, there, there are spiritual laws, and this is one of them. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, your own flesh that desires. When you plant seeds, okay, so this, this pictures our actions, our words, our thoughts as seeds that are planted. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Okay, corruption is going from better to worse. It's, it's what happens to the stuff in your refrigerator when you leave it for weeks. It doesn't get better, okay? It gets worse. You, you, you never open up the spaghetti from three weeks ago and like, man, this tastes better than the night you made it, honey. Uh, it's not going to happen. It, it corrupts. It's going down. It's decaying, okay? And so when you plant seeds of sin in your life, it brings corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life, okay? When you sow seeds of the Spirit, you're planting seeds that are going to come up and it's going to bear a harvest. So you're going to have a harvest. That's what it's saying. You're going to have a harvest. I read a, a great quote by, it was by a comedian. I wish I would have wrote it down. I, I texted it to my dad, to my dad last night because he's a farmer, um, but I can't remember the guy's name. Um, anyway, he said, uh, he said, most of us are, are, uh, are, are sowing sin. We're planting sin all week long, and then we come to church on Sunday and we pray for a crop failure, you know? And I thought that, that's kind of true, you know? I mean, we, we plant all these seeds of the flesh, and then somehow we, we think, man, I'm, my life's not going to be full of this, Okay? So, so the principle there is that our actions are seeds that we plant, and, and there's going to be a harvest. And man, I, I just think that should always be in our mind. Let me tell you a humiliating story about myself. Um, yesterday, I uh, was uh, at some soccer games, and um, one of the games, uh, there was a person who was um, trying to be very vague here. Uh, a person who was doing something I really felt was wrong, and, and they and they did it like continually, like for a long time, and and uh, finally um, they did the right thing. Okay, but when they did, um, I sinned. I, I sinned with sarcasm. Uh, I am I'm prone to that. That's probably a difficulty in in my life. I can be kind of sarcastic, but um, it was it was an opposing team, and and they did what was right. And um, so I'm on the other sideline, and, and I, I just, I do this. I'm like, whoa, wow, oh, man, you know. I can't almost, you know, like I'm fainting or something. I can't believe it, you know. And uh, I don't know, they probably didn't even, I mean, I don't think they could even hear me. They probably didn't know, but Wilcox did. He was standing by me, you know. I mean, uh, I'm not saying it's a huge deal. Um, again, they probably didn't even hear me. But that that bugged me all afternoon 
I knew that I didn't act Christ-like. He finally did the right thing. I, sh- I should have, if nothing else, been like, man, thank you, Lord. That's good. But here's what struck me. It never entered my mind till this morning, about 6 o'clock, as I'm going through this section in the sermon, it, 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 it hits me. There's consequences for that. I planted a, a bad seed. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it'll be, but I just know that that's just the way the world works, right? I was a bad witness to my friend Michael. Um, I don't know. What, I don't know, but I'm going to pray for mercy, and I already have. God, give me mercy on that. I'm sorry. I, I repented of it. Shouldn't be sarcastic in that way. But here's what, here's what I come away thinking. That ought to be our first thought, should it? Not, or maybe our second. Our first one ought to be, I've sinned against the Lord, right? And, and I need to get that right. Our second thought should be, I don't want to plant that stuff in my life. I don't want, I don't want that kind of harvest. You know, the funny thing about harvest is, you, you don't know exactly when you're going to reap, do you? Wheat... Uh, you plant your wheat in September, you usually harvest it in June. It's about a nine-month um, kind of planting to, to harvest. Part of that's, that goes dormant in the winter. Something like corn, uh, you plant it in April, and you can be harvesting in September. That's very common, five months, sometimes six, depending. Um, I actually Googled this one, but the Madagascar palm takes 100 years. You believe that? 100 years before it gets its first crop of fruit. And it only has one, by the way. You better be there. <laughs> you know, uh, if you plant it, don't, don't expect a lot. Yeah, it's not, it's a, that's a long yield investment. You know, your grandkids, maybe. All right? one, one crop, you know, 100 years. And, and, and I got to think about that. And I thought, you know, that's kind of, I mean, do we know when we're going to reap? You know, I, I don't think we do. But date, there's going to be consequences for David's sin. What are they? Verse 10, God's laying this out for him. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. The rest of, of David's story is really kind of hard to read. Um, it's sad. Um, the next chapter, his son Amnon rapes his half-sister Tamar. Sexual morality in David's house. Hmm. Think about that. I wonder why. Tamar's full brother, Absalom, seized with bitterness for a couple years and and finally launches his plan and kills his brother Amnon, murders his brother. Joab uh, ends up killing Absalom, David's son. And then right after David's death, Solomon kills the rebellious son Adonijah. Can you imagine losing four sons? I guess three in his life. The one that died, and then Amnon, and then Absalom, and then Adonijah. Can you imagine having murder in your own house, guys? Verse 11. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. Absalom, I believe I was talking about Absalom. Absalom uh, is David's son. After, uh, after he murders Amnon, he goes into exile for a while. Uh, finally, Joab convinces David to bring him back. But David does bring him back, but doesn't deal with it. 
Uh, he, he leaves him apart. He won't face him for, for several years. Absalom grows more bitter and bitter. Eventually, Absalom begins to take over part of the kingdom, uh, runs David out of Jerusalem. His plan is to kill his father. Uh, he attempts to, to overthrow his father. Um, verse 11, uh, again, I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. Uh, as David flees Jerusalem, he leaves some of the concubines in the house to take care of the house. When Absalom gets there, and this, this gets real interesting, Ahithophel convinces Absalom that what he needs to do is to have relations with David's concubines on the roof in front of all Jerusalem to basically show public contempt for his dad. I, I, never, I, I read this yesterday. I don't know that it can be proven exactly, but it seems pretty sound to me. But when you go to 2 Samuel 23 and you read through those, those genealogies, it looks like Ahithophel is Bathsheba's grandpa. I don't know that for sure, but it, it talks about Eliam, which is, we know that's her dad, and that he's in that line. And, uh, man, just thinking about that, of, of the, probably the bitterness and anger that was still in that family and now... I don't know. But that happens. And then verse 14 is the fourth one. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. And, and that's David's child born through Bathsheba. Man, you know what hit me? Does this hit you? One night. One night, David. I, I don't know how attractive Bathsheba was. The Bible says she's beautiful, so we, we believe the Bible she was beautiful. But, but David, one night, four sons violently cut down in the prime of their life. One night, David, a year of misery and loss of fellowship and loss of joy. One night, your own son seeks to murder you, seeks to take over your kingdom. One night, your baby dies. Sin is not worth it. Amen? Huh? Sin is not worth it. I mean, I guarantee you, if the consequences had been laid out in front of David, okay? If, if David says, hey, go get her. You know, he sins and inquires about Bathsheba. Hey, go get her. Bring her to me. And as she's coming up those stairs, I guarantee you, had David been able to see a picture reel, kind of a slideshow, you know, flashing one scene in front of another, Amnon and Tamar, Absalom and Amnon, Absalom hanging from the tree with, with Joab's javelins stuck through his chest. I, I just bet he would have barred the door. Don't you think? Man, I, I bet he would have drawn his sword. Get back! <laughs> Go home and you're moving, you know? And you're never bathing again. I'm the king. That's it. You're dirty the rest of your life. You know, I don't, he'd have done something, wouldn't he? We don't get that for ourselves. We don't get the slideshow. But you, you and I get other people's slideshows. Ought we to learn from that? Ought we to trust his word? When we plant terrible things in our life, we're going to reap a harvest of terrible things. So God lays that out for David. Verse 13. David says to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. Oh, man, that was a long time coming, wasn't it? Months, probably. Um, many folks think the baby's already born here. Um, 
Finally, no more hiding. There's a fuller confession in Psalm 51, verse 3. For I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before thee. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified. God, you're justified in your words, and you're blameless in your judgment against me. That's what he's saying. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. I'm broken, God. I'm a broken sinner. In sin did my mother conceive me. No more hiding, no more justifying. Man, he's just, God, I've sinned. And then listen to this. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. God forgives him. The wages of sin is death, but David's not going to die because of God's forgiveness. Now, now let's, let's grapple with something here, okay? Let's grapple with something. Let's reconcile the tension of, of David, you're forgiven, but the sword's never going to depart from your house. You know, from your own house, an enemy's going to arise. You know, he's going to do the thing that you did, but he's going to do it publicly in front of everyone, and the son's going to die. Okay, we got to reconcile those two, because here's what I think. I think what a lot of people hear when, when they feel the consequences of their own sin in their own life, you know what they want to say? They want to say, I'm not forgiven. I think, that's, I think that's, that's where they go. I don't think I'm forgiven. God doesn't like me. He doesn't want, you know, he's still mad at me. Okay, but, 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 but listen, listen. God tells him, your sin is put away. I put away your sin. I put it away from you. You know, as far as the east is from the west, David, your sin is put away. Romans 8, 1. There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God forgave David right then and there. It's done. You know, some of you might be thinking, well, I don't, I don't think that's fair. I mean, this guy, is, he, he abused his power. He's an adulterer. He committed sexual morality. He, 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 he killed a man. You know, I don't think he ought to be forgiven. How can he be forgiven? Let me tell you how he can be forgiven the same way you're forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, okay? I mean, it's not a matter of the, the, the worseness of our sin. It is a matter of the glory of Jesus' life and death for us. David is forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, okay? Forgiven, for real. However, however, and this is a separate issue, when, when we disobey God, God says, here's how you need to live. Here's where blessing is, okay? Here's your life. Here's the blessed life. When we go outside of that, okay, God, God's speaking truth to us, right? God's saying, this is the way to live. God's saying, get a wife, love her to the end. That's the path of blessing, okay? When we step outside of that, even if we're forgiven, there's still consequences. Does that make sense? There's still consequences. I mean, there, there has to be because... God's not a liar, okay? When God says, this is good, this is bad, I mean, it really is, okay? Proverbs 6, 27, when it talks about adultery, he says this, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? No, you just can't do that, right? I mean, the truth about fire is what? It burns, right? I mean, that's just, that's a, that's a law, okay? Fire burns, okay? And, and it's a law, adultery burns, murder burns. I mean, sin has consequences, if a man gets drunk, shouldn't be driving, shouldn't have got drunk, but he did. His heart wasn't right. He gets in his car. He's in an accident. Maybe he kills somebody. Maybe he maims himself. Can he be forgiven for that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Can, can he come to God in repentance and faith and, and his sin be put on the cross just like you and I? Yes. 
And, and, and the penal judgment of God is taken off of him and the wrath of God is taken off of him and the fellowship of God is restored where, where he is a son and he's a child and God is pleased with him because of the work of Jesus Christ. There's still somebody dead. He's still maimed. And, and probably he'll probably live the rest of his life with the consequences of those sins. God intends blessing for us. And sin is rejecting God's blessing. What you sow, we will reap. Notice I said we. I think that's the right way to say it. Okay? What, What I sow, we will reap. Is that right? What you sow, singular, we will reap. Here's the reality is that we, 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 we reap other people's sin as well. I always remind myself of that when I'm dealing with a bad deal. And just sometimes there's like, it, there's been sin for generations in a family, you know, and now there's just this mess, you know, and you just want to be like, why, why, well, this is so bad. Why is this? It's sin, right? I mean, we, we all reap the consequences of sin. We live in a bad world and, and we reap the consequences of that. Sin is, sin is like doing a cannonball in a pool, right? When you're doing a cannonball in a pool, you're not just affecting you. You're affecting everybody around you. And the closer you are to the cannonball, the more the effect, right? But there's an effect for everybody. Is there always the same amount of earthly consequences? I, I don't think so. Uh, there's definitely times when God shows grace. We ought to pray for mercy. David does. I think that's right. Uh, there's times where God takes away some of those consequences. Praise God. He, he's a good God. Okay. There are times when he does that. Um, now, now let, 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 me, let me hit this. We're out of time, but let me hit this and then we'll, we'll be done. Okay. How does David deal with the consequences of sin? I, I want us to get here because we, we get to see some of the good of David. Okay. We get to see. We've last two chapters have been brutal on him. Okay. But here's, here's some of the redeeming man after God's own heartness of David, okay? How does he deal with the consequence? So God lays all this out. What does he do? The first thing he does is he goes into fasting and prayer, okay? He goes, he, it says he gets on his face all night on the ground. And depending how you translate verse, uh, uh, what is it, uh, 18, he may have done that for seven days, okay? But, but David, David, didn't, David didn't run away from God. Okay, here's what a lot of people do. When they begin to, to experience the consequences of sin, they run away from God. No! Run to him. I love that about David. Okay, God just lays all this out for him. And what does he do? Man, he gets on his face and, and, he, and he spends time with God. He pleads with God. He knows God's his help. He knows God is, God is, God is the one he needs, Okay? And then after the child dies, what does he do? Verse, verse 20, this is beautiful. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes and he went into the house of the Lord. You see it? Worshipped. He worshipped. You see, God is worthy of praise and honor whether I'm experiencing the painful consequences of my sin or not. Right? God is glorious even when he doesn't give me the relief that I asked for. David worships God because God is deserving of worship. And I love it that he, he, doesn't, he doesn't pout. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't throw a fit against God. I mean, I think we see some of that in, in Psalm 51 where he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil on your side so that you may be justified by your words. God, you're right. Whatever you do here, God, it's right. 
I'm pleading with you for mercy. I want to get close to you, but whatever you do is right. Reminds me of Job. After he loses everything, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Third, what does he do? David goes forward. The child dies and what's he do? Verse, verse 23, well, he gets up, he worships. And then verse 23, but now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. He will not return to me. One of the greatest verses in the Bible, by the way, that, that infants go to heaven. Uh, I think that's, that's a, a great place to go for comfort, to know that God gives grace to babies. Um, but, but here's what David's saying. Man, it's, it's not going to turn around the other way, but I'm, I'm going this way. I'm, I'm going forward. Man, you know what I love about that? There's a lot of folks that when they blow it big, you know what they do? Even after they've confessed, even after they've repented, even after they say, I believe the gospel, they resign themselves that God's done with them. No! No! I didn't read this, but look at how it ends. Verse 24. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. What do we know about Solomon? He's through, he, the messianic, messianic line's coming, right? Solomon's the next king. And the Lord loved him. Hear that? And the Lord loved him. And sent a message by Nathan the prophet and called his name Jedidiah. What's Jedidiah mean? Beloved by the Lord. And I think that's just a, a beautiful way to end that deal where he really is forgiven. See, a lot of times we, we, don't want to think, we don't want to think God really does forgive us. We do this horrible thing and we come to God and we confess and we repent and we want to believe we're forgiven, but we kind of believe we're wearing the scarlet letter, you know? It's all over us. God can't use me. I'm done. You know, I'm just going to kind of sit back in the corner for the rest of my life. And, and I, this ends by saying, besides coming, Psalm, man, David had, David had a lot of wives and a lot of sons, okay? God could have picked lots of other people, but he picks the son that comes through David and Bathsheba. The Lord really forgives. Amen? Folks, let's deal with our sin. We're, we're out of time. But let, let me urge you with this. Man, we need to flee from sin, church. All sin, Okay? Whether it happens on the rooftop, in the bedroom, on the soccer field, we, we, need to, we need to treat it like it is. And we need to flee from it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your forgiveness purchased for us on the cross by Jesus. Father, we thank you that um, you're a God rich in mercy, o- overflowing and abounding in grace, that you're a God who restores even sinners like us. Father, teach us this, this principle of sowing and reaping to the extent that when, when sin is, is before us, when we're tempted, God, I pray that you would bring to my mind, bring to our minds that, that we'll reap what we sow. And Father, help us to stay close to you, trusting that your way is best, that you've given us everything we need. Father, we want to honor and obey you today. Father, help us to do that in Jesus' name.